Do you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3? And as you turn there, we're going to dismiss our children to Children's Church. So if you have little kids who are pre-K through kindergarten who want to meet Miss Leanne, our children's director, and our children's church volunteers in the back, you can do that now. Well, for those of you who are new, we are working our way through the gospel according to John. Uh, it is an amazing gospel. Uh, John is an amazing apostle. Uh, you might not know that John was initially one of the youngest apostles. He was one of the very first people uh, to be called to the Lord Jesus Christ when he was very young. And uh, he is was eventually the longest living apostle. And so whether you come as a young believer or as a young person this morning, or whether you come as a person who's been a Christian your entire life, as one of our seasoned citizens, this gospel is for you. There's beautiful truth in here. And so we're going to give our attention to the reading of God's Word, starting in John 3.16, and we'll read through verse 21. This is God's Word. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil." For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. O Lord our God, uh, we are overwhelmed with gratitude at thinking of your grace, at thinking about the love with which you have loved us. I pray, Lord God, for any of us who are walking in darkness, that you would bring us now, through your word, into the light and glory of your grace, shining in the face of your Son, Jesus Christ. Speak, O Lord, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. The year was 2004, and Oprah Winfrey was at the height of her powers. Now that sentence is going to sound really strange if she ever gets elected president someday. But for now, I am confident in saying that in 2004, Oprah Winfrey was at the height of her powers. The Oprah Winfrey Show was the most popular show on television, and it was entering its 19th season. The theme of the season was wildest dreams come true. Now, normally, Oprah Winfrey would make her audience's wildest dreams come true by giving them some of Oprah's favorite things. Books and candles and gourmet kitchen knives and Itchendorf Tonda and Rings cruette sets. I don't know what any of those words mean. 
but it was on her website, and she gave it away. Sometimes Oprah gave away trips to places like Disney World or Philadelphia or Australia. Once, she paid off someone's student loans. That was pretty cool. Then on September 13th, 2004, Oprah Winfrey took things to a whole new level. On September 13th, 2004, Oprah gave away, are you ready for it? 276 brand new cars. Every single person who was there to watch the Oprah Winfrey show in her studio audience that day received a brand new car. To announce this, she ran around the studio yelling, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, and everybody gets a car. It was chaos. It was pandemonium. People could not believe their good fortune of attending the Oprah Winfrey show that day. Incredible. Each car was valued at just under $30,000, making the grand total of the giveaway somewhere in the neighborhood of $8.2 million. Even in 2023 dollars, that is still a lot of money, and Oprah Winfrey gave it all away in a single day. Incredible. Now, here's the best part. Before the episode was filmed, the producers of the Oprah Winfrey show went out looking for people who desperately needed cars. So the 276 people who got brand new cars weren't just 276 random people. They were 276 people who desperately needed what Oprah was giving them. Oprah's greatest gift met her audience's greatest need. And the result was TV magic. It's still one of the most famous giveaways in the history of television. Let me ask you a question. What would happen if the world's greatest giver gave you the world's greatest gift? A gift that met your greatest need. What if the gift was priceless? What if the world's greatest gift cost the world's greatest giver everything? How would you respond? With laughter? With joy? With celebration? Would you praise the person who gave you the gift? Would you be overcome with gratitude just thinking about the generosity of the giver? Would you live differently because of the gift? Would that gift change your life forever? Would you run out and tell everyone what happened? I probably would. I would say, you'll never believe what happened to me. I received the world's greatest gift. I would never stop talking about that. Today, we're going to talk about the world's greatest giver and the world's greatest gift. We're going to talk about the most famous 24 words ever written. 
John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's most certainly a familiar verse. This week I was listening to a sermon on John 3.16 preached by the late, great Billy Graham. He was preaching to thousands of New Yorkers, maybe ten thousands of New Yorkers, in Central Park. And when he came to this text, he said, if you know this verse, say it along with me. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. You're, you're, not, you're in trouble here, Billy. This is not uh, North Carolina anymore. You're in Gotham. You're in the Big Apple. I used to live in New York City. And the odds that thousands and thousands of people would know John 3.16 is a bit of a stretch. But it turns out I was wrong. There is a first time for everything. <laughs> because when Billy Graham got to John 3.16... of the people in Central Park that day said the text right along with them. But it's also a very important verse. This is basically the whole gospel in a single sentence. Now, it doesn't tell us everything that we need to know. It doesn't mention Jesus by name. It doesn't talk about the cross or the resurrection, much less the Trinity or repentance or the doctrine of the church. But it does tell us that God is a God who loves sinful people. It does tell us that when it comes to eternal life, believing matters much more than behaving. This verse shows us that our God is a loving and merciful God, a gift-giving God, a God who loved sinful, undeserving people so much that he gave us the greatest gift, the gift of his only son, Jesus. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. I want to spend the rest of our time together asking a series of questions about the world's greatest giver and the world's greatest gift. And I think along the way, we'll see how this great gift meets our greatest need. First big question is this. Who is the world's greatest giver? That's number one. Number two is what is the world's greatest gift? Third big question, why do we need it? Fourth big question, how much does it cost us? Fifth big question, how much did it cost him? And finally, number six, how do we open the world's greatest gift. Many questions, many answers, 24 words. Are you ready? Let's take a closer look. We begin with the first big question, and it's this. Who is the world's greatest giver? Well, according to John 3.16, the world's greatest giver is God. For God so loved the world that he gave. Now, if you don't know God, or maybe if you're just getting to know God for the first time, that might come as a surprise to you. You might think that God is a cold, distant, impersonal being, a divine policeman who's just sort of waiting to give you a a cosmic speeding ticket whenever you break one of the Ten Commandments. 
you might think, as many people do, even people who grew up in the church, that God is a God who gives us exactly what we deserve. No more, no less. Quid pro quo, as the Romans used to say. If you do know God, this shouldn't come as a surprise to you at all. According to Jesus' half-brother, James, the Apostle James, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Our God is a gift-giving God. It's His nature. He gives us material gifts like food, shelter, clothing. He gives, he's the God who gave the Israelites manna in the wilderness, bread from heaven, water from the rock, quail for meat eaters like me. I might have ordered the quail. He's the God who sent birds to feed the prophet Elijah. He is the God who sent Jesus to heal the sick and raise the dead. Every material gift that we enjoy in our lives comes to us from the hand of God the Father Almighty. And as such, we should give thanks to God every single day for all the gifts that he gives us. This is why many of us pray before our meals. In our tradition, growing up in a sort of a German household, we used to pray before and after meals. Why? Because it's just a simple little tangible reminder that everything that we enjoy is a gift from God, that God is a God who meets our material needs. He gives us this day and every day our daily bread. He gives us spiritual gifts like faith, hope, and love, wisdom, and joy. He, he gives some teaching gifts and some uh, serving gifts to build up the body of, of Christ, to build up the church. Ephesians 2.8 says that grace, saving grace, is a gift from God. In Luke 11, Jesus said that one of his greatest gifts is the presence of his Holy Spirit. He said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, the heaven, will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Because of, G of Jesus, God is not, no longer our judge, no longer the one who condemns us. He's our heavenly Father who, through Jesus, forgives us our sins, and he loves to give good gifts to his children. Just yesterday, Kate and I were able to give a good gift to our daughter, who is about to turn 16 years old. And it was the most fun I have ever had in a car dealership my entire life. <laughs> Normally, buying a car is not a pleasant experience for me. I feel like I'm in hand-to-hand -hand combat with a salesman trying to wring every last dollar out of this uh, purchase, and he's trying to sell me snow protection or some sort of a warranty that I will never use, and so just battle back and forth. Yesterday, I don't even think I negotiated at all. He said, here's how much it costs. And I looked at my daughter, this image bearer of God, and I remembered holding her when she was just a baby. And I said, where do I sign? <laughs> These people saw me coming a mile away. 
And I didn't care. Who is the world's greatest giver? Who gives us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it? Not me. Not you dads or moms or grandmas or grandpas. It's God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. Second big question What is the world's greatest gift? Well, it turns out the world's greatest gift isn't a brand new car or even a slightly used car. It isn't a castle on a hill or a house on the water. It isn't health. It isn't wealth. It isn't a happy marriage or or great kids or a successful career. As great as those things are, frankly, I hope that God gives you all of those things. If God gives you even some of those things, you can invite me to your mansion and we will enjoy them together. That would be great. But none of those things is the world's greatest gift. The world's greatest gift is God's own son, Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, The gospel is the good news that God sent his son Jesus to this world to live the perfect life that we should have lived but did not live, to die the sacrificial death that we should have died but did not die, so that whoever believes in him, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, whether you've sinned uh, in big, notorious ways or in tiny, little, subtle ways, whether you came to faith uh, 30 years ago or 30 minutes ago, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In Jesus, we have more than a good teacher. In Jesus, we have more than a good example. In Jesus, we have a savior. In Jesus, we have a king. In Jesus, we have a friend. In Jesus, we have a person to love and trust and follow. Jesus is greater than our failures. Jesus is greater than our fears. Jesus is greater than our sorrow. Jesus is greater than our joy. Jesus is greater than any president or any prime minister or any emperor or any king the world's greatest giver is god himself and the world's greatest gift is god himself praise god from whom all blessings flow and there is no greater blessing than the blessing of a god who would send his only son to die on the cross that we might live. Third big question is this. Why do we need the world's greatest gift? Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We need Jesus because we are sinners. We need Jesus because without him, we would stand condemned before a holy God. 
Apart from Jesus, we are dead. Apart from Jesus, we are in the darkness. Apart from Jesus, we are slaves to foolishness and futility and frustration. Verse 19, and this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their, their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. This is a very stark assessment of the human condition, is it not? And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, it's a very accurate description of the human condition. Look around. Look at the world. Look at your own heart. This apostle, the Apostle John, who wrote this gospel, is the same apostle who later wrote 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in it. He wrote that as an old man who lived a long time pursuing Christ. Even he would say, I am still a sinner. I still need to confess my sin day by day because the battle is not over until we see Jesus face to face. Now, again, not exactly the power of positive thinking, is it? <laughs> so why would, why would John say this? Maybe because the good news makes no sense apart from the bad news. Maybe because the gospel is the one thing in all the world that has the power to both humble us and exalt us at the exact same time. John 3.16 tells us, that God so loved the world. Well, who's the world? All races? Yes. Men and women? Of course. People from every nation on every earth? Yes, absolutely. But more than that. Because when John speaks of the world, he has something very specific in mind. He's not simply talking about the people of the world in some sort of general uh, sense, kind of like the United Nations or the United Colors of Benetton. He has one specific thing in mind. The world is the systems of the world that stand in opposition to the kingdom of God. The world is, refers to the world's values, the world's rebellion, and the world's sin. Now, read it again. For God so loved the world. God so loved His enemies. God so loved the lost. God so loved the damned. This is the God we serve. We need the world's greatest giver to give us the world's greatest gift because it meets the world's greatest need. The need for forgiveness, the need for healing, the need for hope. Fourth big question, how much does the world's greatest gift cost us? The short answer is nothing. It's free. Salvation is a gift. There are no strings attached. Romans 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, 
but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this is very, very counterintuitive. I'm sure you've probably heard the saying that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Unfortunately, that's often the case. Often we are very suspicious when people come to us starting to talk about something that's free, free gifts, because we live in a world where most human relationships are transactional. Come for the free lunch and stay for the timeshare seminar, right? Whether it's a free lunch or a free concert or the free football phone that cost my beleaguered parents a $55 annual subscription to Sports Illustrated in 1989. There's no such thing as free, right? That's especially true when it comes to the realm of religion. In almost every religion, what happens? The good people go to heaven and the bad people go to hell. You get what you pay for. There's no such thing as a free lunch. You get what you deserve. So the question that most religious people ask is, well, how good do I need to be? Do I need to be as good as Mother Teresa? Do I need to be slightly better than maybe a corrupt politician or someone like this? What is heaven going to cost me? An hour uh, every Sunday morning, uh, 10% of my after-tax income, John is saying that might be how every other relationship works. That might be how every other religion works, but that's not how this works. In Christianity, you cannot earn salvation. You cannot earn God's grace, and you don't have to. It is a gift. It is totally and completely free for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Gave. It's a gift. For us, the world's greatest gift costs nothing. For us, the world's greatest gift is absolutely free. Fifth big question related How much did the world's greatest gift cost him? For us, the answer is nothing. For him, the answer is everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, I thank God that I have never experienced this, and I pray that I do never experience this, but I am told by people who have experienced this that there is absolutely nothing worse than the death of your child. There's absolutely nothing worse than the death of a child that you raised and loved and cared for. I would gladly, and I'm sure most of you parents, all of you parents, would gladly exchange your own life for the life of your children. You would gladly die so that your child might live. Here's what God the Father did in giving us His only Son. He sent His own Son to die so that we could live. In the Apostles' Creed, we say that Jesus 
descended into hell. In other words, he experienced the hell that we deserve on the cross. But I wonder, did God the Father experience hell too? We know that when Jesus died on the cross, the curtains separating the holy of holies from the rest of the profane and secular world was torn in two from top to bottom. Was the heavenly Father's heart torn in two as well? We know that when Jesus died on the cross, darkness covered the earth. Did that darkness cover the Father's heart? We know that there was a great earthquake when Jesus died on the cross, immediately following his cry of dereliction, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did the Father's cry of dereliction cause the ground to shake beneath his son's feet? Discussing the pain of losing a child, Pastor George Robertson observes, God knows that pain and he chose that pain when he chose to love the world. That is how much you matter to God. That is how much God loves you. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How will he not answer our prayers? How will he not receive us into his kingdom? How will he not give us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it? He gave his only son. The gift that cost us nothing cost our heavenly father everything. That leads us to our sixth question, last one. How do we open the world's greatest gift? Perhaps this is stating the obvious, but a gift that you never open is not much of a gift. If you got a brand new car from Oprah Winfrey and then said, hey, where are the keys to this thing? And she said, surprise, there are no keys. You would have just been given the world's largest uh, paperweight, essentially. That's not much of a gift. So how do we open it? How do we embrace Jesus? How do we receive him? How does the gift that God has given us change our lives forever? Here's the answer. In order to receive, we have to believe. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We have to believe that Jesus really did come from heaven to earth, that he really did become a human being, fully God and fully man. We have to believe that in obedience to his heavenly Father and for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He rose again from the dead and is seated today at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We have to believe that he really is who John the Baptist said that he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We have to trust him. We have to obey him. We have to give our lives to him in gratitude for him giving his life for us. And here's the amazing thing. 
Once you do that, once you take that step of faith and say, I am no longer my own, I belong to you, body and soul, in life and in death, through Jesus my Savior, you will discover the greatest twist of all, which is that faith itself, the hands that we use to receive the gift, are themselves gifts from God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. That's the gospel in 24 words. There is a God, a loving, caring, gift-giving God. He exists and He gives good gifts to His children. He's given us the gift of His Son through whom we have the gift of everlasting life. It's a gift that costs us nothing. It is a gift that costs Him absolutely everything. It's a gift that we desperately need because it meets our deepest needs for forgiveness, for acceptance, for unconditional love, and unspeakable joy. How do we open the gift? We open it when we believe. And then, having received the gift, the gift of Jesus, God's Son, and through Him everlasting life, it is our great joy to be givers of that gift as we go and tell the world about who God is, oh, how He loves us, that He's given us this unspeakable gift which produces unspeakable joy. We'll talk about that more next week at our missions conference as we hear about gift givers giving this gift to Native Americans and others giving this gift around the world. So come back next week and we'll continue on with the message of missions. For now, let's go to God in prayer. O gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. I am and we are overwhelmed at how gracious you are. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. We thank you, Lord God, that we never have to earn this, that we never have to receive wages in payment for our good works. But rather, Lord God, that you are a God who justifies the ungodly, which most assuredly includes me. I pray, Lord God, that this would melt our hearts like wax, that we might step boldly into the light of your salvation, bringing others with us, for we have seen your glory and your grace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.